We're starting lesson four tonight of a 12-part series. And I want to start with a story that I think captures a lot of the tension that we're trying to understand as we go through the 12-part series. We had a neighbor call Karen several years ago. And the neighbor was concerned because her son, whom we'll call Billy, her son had been told by the school nurse, by the teacher, and the school counselor that they believed their son had ADHD and needed to be on medication. Christian mom, little maybe third grader, fourth grader, something like that, Karen, young, elementary school. Well, the mom called Karen and said, what should I do? So she said, well, let's take a walk. So they took a walk. And she heard all about how her son, Billy, was squirmy and disruptive and the teacher was having trouble. We have at least one teacher in here. And So what do we do? Because the doctors have said he needs medication. And if the doctor says your child needs medication, what do you do? So Karen not a doctor. She just started to ask questions. She said, well, tell me a little bit more about Billy. I know he's been diagnosed with ADHD, but tell me more about Billy's behavior. What does it look like? So the neighbor told Karen about his behavior. Yeah, he's squirmy and and he has trouble sitting still and you know struggles paying attention, has a short attention span. And then Karen asked an interesting question. She said, well, does Billy, is he ever able to sit still? Oh, yes, the neighbor said. When, when Billy's playing Nintendo, he can sit still for hours. Ah. And then Karen asked another good question. She said, well, is it possible that Billy likes Nintendo more than school? And the light bulb came on. So here was a problem, ADHD, is that common today? Absolutely. The things we're talking about in this class for these 12 weeks touch on every church, significantly on every church, on every family, significantly on every family, and on every one of us. Because we all have pain, difficulty, trials in our lives. This is not an exercise in a worldview class. This is discussing things that touch every one of us, neighbors, good friends. So Karen didn't say, she didn't say, you know, no to a doctor medication. That wasn't the issue. For her, she's not a doctor. This class is not saying medications are all wrong. You all understand that, right? Karen didn't say, well, the doctor said, You should have meds, and you should have meds. She also didn't say that, did she? What she did is she she went under special revelation, and she just started to ask questions to to take her to take her neighbor's son and that issue vertically. Is it possible that that Billy is struggling with self control? That some things 
he likes, he can sit still on. And other things that he doesn't like, he struggles sitting still. Isn't that possible? Oh, the neighbor said, I never thought about that. Isn't it possible that a lot of your child's behavior is based on what they love and don't love? Well, that's the case for us, right? And isn't it possible that, well, wait a minute, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Is it possible that Billy could get some help spiritually to address? Now, is school tough? Is the school system difficult for squirmers? Yeah, who have to sit at a desk. School systems understand that. They've tried to adjust, have open classrooms, have move them around, try to do things that are more interactive because kids are squirmy. Is it possible that having three donuts every morning for breakfast might make you squirmy? Yes. Unless they're chocolate, they, that can't be bad. <laughs> the, the point is, general revelation, which we're going to talk about later, Special revelation, and most of you know what they mean, but we're going to make sure you understand them. Is it possible that, that under the sun there might be some answers? But the reality is we live here. We live under the sun, and that's what we've been talking about. Let me give you another example. Have you ever been in church? Certainly not listening to Bob or Tom here, but... But have you ever been in church listening to a good sermon? And right in the middle of a great point, your mind wanders into what you've got to do, something about yourself. You go, what am I doing? Have you ever been singing a wonderful hymn? And right in the middle of a wonderful hymn, your mind goes off wandering to something that's under the sun, that's fleshly. Well, I have. Have you ever been praying in the middle of prayer and and you find yourself with your thoughts going to something that's worldly. Has that ever happened to you? Well, if it hasn't, then you're supernatural. Because I think only the Son of God could say no. It happens to all of us. Now, why is that? It's Romans 7, maybe? Things we... Yeah. So, as we talk about this struggle of life under the sun or life in the sun and the reality of this, we're, we're going to be zeroing in on two big things. One is, one is this life under the sun and the others are light and sight. Excuse me, light, life in the sun and the others light and sight in the sun, in Christ. Life, light, and sight. Now, how much, how many other things are there to talk about in Christ? Bunches, right? We've said there's 170 different references in Paul's 13 epistles of something that we have in Christ. There are wonderful books written on it. It's a great study. So to help you understand why we're trying to target our discussion specifically around the issue of why is counseling so prominent today? Why are counseling-related resources so prominent today? When 70 years ago, they didn't exist, right? We're zeroing in on, on just these two major thoughts, what it is to have life in the sun and what it is to have light and sight in the sun. That's why tonight's critical, because tonight...
we're going to make more sense of this. And these two thoughts, life and light and sight, are foundational to our other three points that will unfold over the next seven weeks. Tonight, we have the mind of Christ. That's where we're going to finish tonight. I want you to understand what that means tonight. Next week, which is really the week after next week, connecting the fall to who we call. I know Bob would like that. I wanted to say connecting the fall to the call, but wasn't sure people would get that if they just read it, so. Gospel life in the body of Christ. The gospel moves us from death to life. The gospel moves us from darkness to light. The gospel moves us from blindness to sight. Then we talked about how the gospel does move us. It orients us toward worship of God, seeing ourselves as slaves of Christ. The biblical gospel moves us toward walking by faith, towards prayer in the word, and towards spiritual life. Now, these three things, life, light, and sight, as we talk about them in Christ, we're doing it around two questions. The first question was, what are the pressing issues behind the calls we make, the books we read for help, and the programs we attend to get help? What are the issues What are we trying to resolve in our mind? How do we interpret the issues? How do we identify the issues? How do we define them? And so the issues were addressed in our first belief. A Christian has been given life in Christ, who we call for help, and the answers we're seeking are significantly influenced by our understanding of the gospel. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, A Christian has been given new, complete resurrection life in Christ. We have literally been twice born. And this resurrection life in the Son, Zoe, is fundamentally different than the universal center of our experiences that we call life under the Son, Suke. We have have two different ways to look at life. Not just two different words, we explored all of those words and how the scripture unfolds them, but two different ways of looking at life. I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. The second question was, who do we call and why? And we said that our foundation belief number two that we introduced last week is going to address this question. As Christians, we have light and sight in Christ, which is uniquely different and superior to creation. And we said that light is what? What is light? Revelation. That's right. So light equals revelation. And what was sight? Creation. And what's another good word for creation? Yeah, general revelation. GR. 
So let me explain, because it was brought up quite well at the end of last week. Well, Jim, you didn't really explain what revelation, what are we talking about? Okay. General revelation. A revelation in nature around us, in human consciousness and in the providential government of the world, it's basically creation. It's what God has created. And everything God created displays God's divine excellence. It's flowers, it's trees, it's us. Okay? Now, what that means relative to the decisions we make is what we're going to talk about tonight. Special revelation. Well, it's different. It's special. God's specific acts and communications to people within history at specific times. Most particularly, special revelation refers to Scripture. Itself special revelation in the written account of God's acts of special revelation. God must reveal himself to be known. So, if you want to understand special revelation good place to start is in John chapter 1. Let me ask a question before we look at John. How many, if you're a believer, you have access to both general and special revelation, don't you? If you're a non-believer, what do you have access to? Yeah, just general revelation. Christians, Because we're in Christ, we have access to special revelation. We understand the word. Non-Christians are blinded. They don't have access to special revelation. Now, that's pretty basic. I know you know that. But it becomes more and more important when it comes down to making these decisions about who we're going to call and why we're making the call and where we're leading and where we're trying to get advice and who are the experts and what we're counting on to try to get those answers that meet the needs that we think we have in the ways that we've defined those needs. (laughs) So tonight, I want to spend a little bit of time here in in looking at special revelation and what it means. The fact that light and sight, revelation that's special, and the illumination of that revelation, and we'll define illumination in a minute, in fact, Steve Terrell's going to help us because he gave wonderful little thoughts on all of this that he doesn't even remember um, probably two years ago. It's coming on a slide, Steve. Be, you may want to change your opinion. Something might be different than what you shared two years ago. Yes. In the beginning, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. What's different about John's Gospel and the other three Gospels? What does John do here? Yeah, focuses on Christ as God and the creator and takes us back before creation, doesn't he? 
he takes us back to eternity past. He says, in essence, that in him was life and the life was the light of men. He, he basically says that light, special revelation, that the light was with the sun before creation. Isn't that interesting? Now, we know that, and he ties it, as Robert said, to Christ. Now, why is that significant? Well, first reason is that it says that the person who has come to know Jesus Christ, as all of you in here, has come to know Come to know the Father. If you know Jesus, you know the Father. Are we ever going to see the Father? No. No man can see the Father. But we can know the Father by knowing Jesus. Because he was with the Father in the beginning. And he is the light. And we have light in him. Okay? And interestingly enough, of course, that didn't just start before creation. It was in the garden too. He, God spoke to man. Told him what he was to do. Gave him job to do. Told him to, to um, name the animals. Gave him purpose. Subdue the earth. Special revelation. God speaking to man. We see the existence really of through all the theophanies of the Old Testament where we see the Lord showing up. Um, got several of those listed here, but you know them. Showed up to Moses at the rock. Spoke, where else did he speak in the Old Testament? Spoke through the prophets. He spoke through the law. He spoke through, through the sacrificial system. We, we have evidences of Christ's theophanies, of, of God speaking, the Lord speaking. And in the final days, what does Hebrews say? He's spoken to us in his son. So when we talk about special revelation, we're talking not just about a term. We're talking about the fact that, that it's a person. It's Jesus. It's in him that we have light. Paul Tripp tells the story about studying the book of Romans, and he was translating the book of Romans many years ago when he was in seminary and loved to translate it. He was immersed in it. He loved his Greek. Three o'clock in the morning, he's in Romans chapter 8, and he's cranking out verse after verse. And he's way ahead of the... He knows he's about two weeks ahead because he loves Greek. And then all of a sudden, it just hit him. What am I doing? This is God's word. This is communion with Jesus. And I'm treating it like an academic exercise. And he just wept. He said he just wept. Because he realized that he had, he had just missed the fact that the word is the person, not an intellectual exercise. So basically, what do we know from in the beginning? That man is totally dependent on God. Totally dependent on God for everything. 
God has provided that we can know truth as he desires us to know it. Our knowledge of the issues regarding brokenness, the pain, the difficulties that we're talking about is dependent upon or derived from God's knowledge and subject to human limitations. Craig Bill wrote this. It's long, but I do want to read it. The first words of Scripture, which, by the way, John chapter 1 points right back, of course, to Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, the first words of Scripture introduce us to the ultimate explanation of reality and the solution to the deepest questions of philosophy and religion. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the 66 books that follow, the person and works of God and his relationship to the universe and people he created are on vivid display from eternity past through all of human history to the end of time and beyond. God is the source and explanation of all things. From God we have existence, meaning, and purpose. From God we have all truth and the ability to know truth. In God's revelation, special revelation, scripture, we have the basis for a proper understanding of God, ourselves, and his universe, and the necessary and sure foundation for a God-honoring defense and proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And, by the way, the necessary and proper understanding for how we are to minister to one another in the difficulties of life. So what about this illumination? If special revelation is God's word, revealed to us from eternity past in Christ through the ages, from the garden through the Old Testament, and now in the person of Christ... What does illumination mean? What does it mean not to just have the light of special revelation, but to have the sight of illumination? Illumination refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers to make us able, keep that word in mind, to believe and understand the words of the Bible. Let me read this again. Illumination refers to the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers to make us able to believe and understand the words of the Bible. God reveals himself through the direct and internal testimony of the Holy Spirit. Special revelation. Man cannot reason his way to God. Under the curse, he is not an impartial seeker after truth. You do understand that, don't you? You can argue somebody all day long without the Holy Spirit opening somebody's eyes that are blind, without the Holy Spirit taking somebody who is dead and giving them life. They are not going to understand it. Since life is in the Son... The Holy Spirit illumines a sufficient answer through the word that bears witness with my spirit. Looking outside this sphere toward the world of common grace, which is the world of general revelation, right? Looking outside the sphere of special revelation to the world as a whole under common grace offers alternative answers, no doubt. There are answers. These alternative alternative answers 
seem rational and reasonable to us as they are sourced, found, and affirmed through general revelation. Now, ponder that because we're going to have a better diagram to see what that means in a minute. For you is, for with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Verses, verse after verse after verse. I'm not going to list but a couple more that talk about, point us to Christ. I mean, how many people that we know are struggling with purity problems? Pretty common, isn't it? Impure thoughts, impure actions, immoral behavior. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself. That's some pretty good spiritual advice, isn't it? For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. For in him, in Christ, we live and move and exist, as even some of your own poets have said. For we also are his children. A couple more. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Could we spend an hour talking about this verse? Easily. The light of the knowledge of the glory of Christ. And finally, but a natural man, who's a natural man? Right. Natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. The natural man is the unbeliever, as Robert said. He's the man that can only go to general revelation. He's only controlled by suke. That's all he can do is look at things under the sun. His life is under the sun. He does not have in the sun life. He doesn't have resurrection life. He's dead spiritually and he's blind spiritually. Now, Next week, we're going to see how that manifests itself in significant ways in our desire to lean, our, our looking for people that are the experts who don't have life in Christ. They have no spiritual revelation. We're going to see how limited. It doesn't mean that they have no answers. Two plus two is four. Okay. Renee's nodding. She knows that because she teaches high school math. (laughs) The natural man 
But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For, this is from Isaiah 40, who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? Well, who has known the mind of the Lord, right? Nobody can know the mind of God. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The next verse. But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. I'm going to leave that in there for you to read. So, we've gone through a bunch of verses on light, talked about what it means regarding Christ being the light, that special revelation is in the Son of God, and that when we talk about the Word, it is the living Word. It's not, it's not letters on a book. It's not an intellectual exercise. How many people that we know that are non-believers have memorized lots of the Bible, but they have no life? It's not knowledge. It's special revelation. Special revelation that is required because nobody comes to know who Jesus Christ is from general revelation. You understand that, don't you? General revelation is good. It's from God. It's just limited. It doesn't give us the knowledge of Christ or the knowledge of redemption. It doesn't tell us how to live as Christians. It doesn't tell us how to minister to one another. It's limited. So let's look at it. Brother Steve has done his handiwork with some good illustrations. I think the next four slides will be some good meat for you to ponder during Thanksgiving break, along with your turkey and dressing and everything else. And we're going to talk about suke from a, just this is a 40,000 grand thought, and then a little bit more about suke, and then zoe. Suke. The solutions and answers are finite, based within the here and now. Finite ingredients that go into a wonderful chocolate chip cookie that we all love, correct? I would like one now. With suke, when we're under the sun, okay, when we're looking at things only from a lens of general revelation and the best we can do under the sun, the problem is horizontal. It's just, it's the here and now. How do we resolve the issue? Do I take medication or not? Where do I go get my broken bone fixed? Horizontal. The remedy is solely from the created world. That says E equals MC squared, I think. And the solution is provided from those considered as experts of the data and facts from the created world. Right? Does that make sense? Any questions on this? There's a lot to this, particularly as we start to unfold it into the calls we make. I mean, I got a call two days ago. 
The lady said, talking about a couple that had some marriage problems, and they lived uh, down in Dallas, and she said, do you know the name of a good Christian counselor, Jim? So we started to talk through, you know, where they go to church. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they even go to church. And, and um, you know, y'all could have handled the call fine. So I said, well, why do you think they need a good counselor? I asked her that. She said, well, they, I, they need somebody that really knows about marriage problems, that's skilled in dealing with marriage problems. You see, somebody that's an expert. That's what she's saying. This is a wonderful believer who just asked me that question. Now, are, do some marriage counselors skilled with court? Are there Christian marriage counselors that know the Word of God? Of course. But in her mind, the reason to call was because they were an expert. had nothing to do with spiritual. It had nothing to do with vertical. They need an expert because it's a marriage problem. Zoe, the solutions and answers to our problems are not based solely on cause and effect but actually somehow have a redemptive purpose in context. Jesus, the bread of life. The solutions and answers to our problems are not based solely on cause and effect, but actually somehow have a redemptive purpose in context. Let's just talk about a headache, okay? You've come home from work and you have a headache. You have every right to take an aspirin or two or a couple Advil or call your father-in-law and he'll tell you what to take. Now, is that the end of the headache discussion? How about if the headache is caused from all the anxiety you have from work that you haven't handled very well spiritually? I mean, is is it possible that instead of just looking at, I have a headache and I'm going to take an aspirin to take care of my headache, that that you might stop and consider other factors, redemptive factors in the way that you're living your life that might be causing the headache. I would say myself and nearly all of you don't even think like that. We take the pill and we're good because our head hurts and we haven't thought twice about whether there's any other Vertical redemptive issue. We think we do, but we don't. We just don't. And once in a while we do. But by the end of 12 weeks, I'm hoping we'll all do it more. That we'll stop. We won't dismiss everything that we're seeing and say, oh, this is painful. This hurts. I don't like this. This doesn't make me feel good. And and, and we'll... We won't just process it horizontally. We'll be thinking about a redemptive way of looking at it. The problem, as a believer in Christ, see, as in Christ we see things differently, don't we? We can. We have spiritual eyes. The problem's reviewed from the vertical. The here and now has a way in, certainly. We have a headache. The here and now has a way in, but a way in from God. It's not controlled by the here and now. The remedy is not merely addressing a specific problem, but rather how I interpret my circumstances 
slash situation by my relationship to Christ. The remedy is not merely addressing the headache, the pain. It's not merely doing that, but rather how I interpret my circumstances by my relationship to Christ. The solution is provided from dependence on the Father, spiritual advice from my new DNA, elders and pastors, brothers and sisters, under special revelation. Some laughing because I love that term, and Steve and I like it too. DNA, we're new family, right? We're new creatures, born twice. New creatures in Christ. New life, resurrection life in Christ. By the blood of Christ, we are united with the same DNA. Now, this will be talked about a whole lot more in points four and five. But right now, we're talking about the reality that special revelation flows from our fellow believers. And our fellow believers within a community that God's placed us, not just anybody. The first thing I always ask people when they're struggling, are they going to a church? Where are they plugged in? I get calls and emails from people outside of Dallas. Say, well, where are they going to church? Who's their family? Who, who Who can walk alongside of them? That's what we all need, right? And also, not just SR entirely, also as deemed necessary, the solution can be found in creation under GR. We say there's a way in. We're, we're not saying that a headache isn't, that taking an aspirin isn't a good thing to take an aspirin if you need to take an aspirin. Let me give you an example. This is small, but since it's about grandkids and Karen's here and we've had them for three Days, right? Only two nights. Two more nights to go. So, the first night, our middle grandson didn't want to sleep in his room that we had all set up for him. He wanted, he was afraid of the dark. Well, so how do you handle that? Let's turn on some lights, right? That's how I handled it. Yes, the general revelation way, the suke way, the under the sun way. My wife, she thinks suke too, trust me. Um, she gives me aspirin from time to time. But, but Karen's always, much more than me, thinking Zoe. She's thinking vertically. And even though the little tracks only three, she's reminding track. Track, you know, God made the dark and the light. He made it all. God's with us. He, he's the creator. God is, you know, he will take care of you. Just talking about God. So for the three-year-old, it calmed him down. She prayed with him. First night was a little tougher. Um, he was up some that night. But last night, he slept through the night Wonderfully. Reinforcing. 
And of course, I turned an extra light on. It did help too. So the combination worked quite well. But you see how that tension is between the both? And, and, and if we only thought, turn lights on, deal with the problem, that would be insufficient. Well, these slides, we'll come back to them, and I want you to think about them over the holiday, okay? Now, I introduced a verse to you last week from Jay Adams. Anybody study Romans 15:14? Anybody think about that verse? I said that we have two worlds, this counseling world that we need to understand more of, this counseling world that dominates general revelations. I mean, the secular counseling world is huge. It's, if you want a job today, become a counselor. doesn't matter what kind. You go to any job board, they're hiring counselors like crazy. Within the counseling world, though, there's two different groups of Christian counselors. One is called Christian counselors, and another is called biblical counselors. Now, they call themselves that. And several of you last week mentioned that you really didn't know the difference between the two, and you will by the end of our next lesson. I'm going to give you a little hint today. And we said that this is a different world, and I want you to always think like this. This is not the body of Christ's world. I'm not saying there's nothing up here that we read that has any value. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that even the books and material that we talked about two weeks ago that were written by Christians have no scriptural truth in them. I'm saying we have to be discerning, don't we? Because it's coming from therapeutic language that influences us. That's what our whole second lesson was about how we have this tug between suke and zoe and, 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 and all the needs and the, the pressing issues behind those calls we make. Those issues are influenced greatly by this therapeutic language. Well, the issues, the, the, the decision-making behind who we call and why we call, where we're getting our light, our revelation, is behind other challengers so we talked about counseling trying to define it and we said all this pain and i'll just leave that there these were some of the discernment things so the counseling world so the first thing that i want you to know is that secular counseling and christian counseling in my view both are hugely influenced by the therapeutic gospel. Not just secular, we assume that would be. In fact, secular is not influenced by any gospel. But Christian counseling has this therapeutic gospel all over it. Christian counseling. Now, biblical counseling is pretty good on the gospel. Jay Adams started Christian counseling, or biblical counseling. Jay Adams saw that psychology had just inundated the Christian church back in the 60s. He, he, it just distressed him. He saw that, that well-meaning Christians were going to college, getting psychology degrees to become counselors so they could minister to people. Saw the rise of Rosemead you know, psychology school and some other schools that started to train Christians on how to be good psychologists, 
Christian psychologist with with Freud and Maslow and Skinner and and all the good psychologists as part of the core curriculum in Christian seminaries, Christian teaching seminaries. And Jay Adams said, this is wrong. And, and most everybody in a good conservative Bible church gets that. They, they know who Jay Adams is. They said, boy, I'm glad Jay Adams came along because he, he said the Bible is sufficient. And I have every book that Jay Adams wrote. Steve Terrell knows Jay. Hadn't seen him for a while, but spent lots of time with him in California. So what happened when Jay Adams decided to combat this counseling thing? So he's, he's here, okay? Jay's here, and, and, and he's going to fight counseling. Is he going to fight it entirely from the body of Christ, entirely from special revelation by the illumination of the Spirit of God? He's going to try because Jay Adams knew God's Word, knows it wonderfully. But he looked at this verse in Romans fifteen fourteen, And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able... Competent also to admonish, counsel one another. So his book said that even Christians, regular normal Christians that you and I are, really aren't competent enough because we don't know God's word enough. We need to know God's word more than even pastors who can prepare a message, teach a message, but we're sitting down and having an interactive discussion with people and we really need to know every possible biblical answer to every possible issue we have to be competent in knowing all of god's word on every issue is that right or wrong no that's not right the issue isn't competency the issue is revelation and illumination god spoke through a donkey think the donkey was competent God has to reveal things to us. That doesn't mean we don't have to know the word. I'm not saying that. But you see how easy that is to get to how much do we need to know. And if we can get to know it all, then we might be able to help one another. That's not what he, that's wrong. He also took the word admonish and he called it counsel. Now Steve and I asked a young man, I think Steve paid him some money from seminary a few years ago to do a, a word study on the word counsel. It's a biblical word, right? Anybody know what the word counsel means biblically? If you were trying to define what it means biblically, you would be hard-pressed. You can go listen to John Piper's definition of it and Paul Tripp's and Dave Pallison's and a lot of good people out there, and they define biblical counseling. And they give it wonderful, elaborate definitions. Not one of them, not one of them, I think, defines the biblical word counsel biblically. Now, that's a little bit odd, isn't it? If you're a biblical counselor, if you believe in revelation, illumination, why would we start with a word here 
And then pick a word, admonish, which is nuthetio, which is used eight times in the New Testament, or maybe only six. It's a good word. It's a one-anothering word. Admonish means take a specific, you know, deal with a specific problem. Well, I think, and Steve and I think, and perhaps we hope that if Jay had it to do over again, maybe he would do it differently. Um, Jay came out of a counseling world. That's where he lived. He had background in counseling. Jay wanted to fit Scripture into a counseling model of some sort. Jay believes in the doctrines of grace. Grace alone, Christ or faith alone, Christ alone. He believes in all of that. But it's just so easy because he lives in the counseling world and he so he wanted to find something that would support that view. And so he birthed the biblical counseling world. Now is that a problem? Almost everybody I talk to it's a problem because the word counsel has all kinds of ramifications, doesn't it, today? Oh, if you say, I'm not competent to counsel, I need special training to be be a counselor. There are ethical um, concerns being a counselor. There are legal concerns if you represent yourself as a counselor. And even the biblical counselors, good men and women, aren't even using the word counsel biblically, in my opinion. Now, what are those ramifications? Well, we have to look at all of that when we get into the counseling world, which we'll do in a couple of weeks. It's almost 8 o'clock. Tell you what I'm going to do. I have a, a, a quick little diagram, but if you want to stay, I'll give you some, something else to chew on here that you can use right away to start ministering to people with this whole idea of looking vertically and helping others look vertically versus just looking horizontally. But I've told you I would stop at 8 o'clock so that if you wanted to leave, you could. And if you want to, you may. And if you don't, then we're going to keep going for probably not too long, maybe another five minutes. Well, story of redemption. Everybody knows it. Some of the people here have seen this diagram. Creation. The fall, redemption, and heaven. Now, obviously, there are more components than just those four. But those are pretty big ones, right? If you're, if you're going to sit down with somebody and, and lay out the gospel or just lay out uh, redemption in terms of as the scripture, as God's word lays it out, you can do well by starting here. Now, the story of redemption has a hero, doesn't it? Christ. This book is about Jesus. He is the light. He is our life. So when you have somebody who's got a story of pain, whether it's OCD or depression, anxiety, whatever it is, marriage difficulties, kids' difficulties, personal addictive behavior, struggles, which all of us have to some degree or another, And you sit down with them and they tell you their story, which is fine because being a good listener is a good thing. This is what you do. You try to get their story, their story inside this story. You try to move them towards Christ. That's, in a nutshell, how you minister to one another. And my concern has been 
that that doesn't happen very much in churches today. The example I gave last week of what Community Bible Chapel did with my first marriage and when Donna's terminal illness and how they, as, a, as an entire church community, moved us toward Christ and ministering to us in multiple ways, I just don't think that happens very much today. That was the norm 100 years ago. That was what churches did. The new norm. What's the new norm? Professional counseling and well-packaged counseling-related church programs like Celebrate Recovery, Stephen's Ministry, Divorce Care, Grief Share, you name it. That's the new norm. If you want a good text to spend some time with, in fact, we'll look at it since I've only done three minutes, so we'll take a couple. Open your Bibles. I love this text from Matthew 14, Jesus walking on the water, and it's just a great illustration of what it means to move toward Christ. You all are familiar with it. Starting with verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he sent the crowds away. Verse 23, after he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. What do we think about whenever you hear the story? What's the first thing you think about? Yeah, well, it's a miracle, certainly. What do you think about with Peter? What was wrong with Peter? That's right. I always and, and that's right. He took his eyes off Jesus. But what was Peter doing? He took his eyes off Jesus. But what was he doing? Yes. That's it too. I hadn't even thought about that. It was suke. Thank you, Robert. You've got that. See, you're getting some. But he was overwhelmed by. The elements. But what was he doing that was good? It says it twice, and I didn't see this till about a year ago. Twice, what does it say? Verse 28, command me to come to you on the water. And verse 29, and Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Isn't that sweet? Moving toward Jesus, moving toward Jesus at at the command and the invitation of our Lord, who is calling all of us to come toward him, follow him, get to know me, moving toward Jesus. And yeah, he struggled, he struggled, he started to sink, but you know what? He's moving toward Jesus and all Jesus did was reach out and grab him, took care of it. So, in, in a nutshell, as we minister to each other and to others, just move people toward Jesus. If we think like that, we're going to think vertically. 
And we may, you know, we're going to bring in some of that horizontal. That's all part of our life. God created all of that. But we're always tugged toward the suke. And why we're tugged toward the suke and, and how, how consistent that is and what a problem that is in the solutions that we find out here is you would start checking the box. Like, for example, yeah, we go to a doctor and we think that's general revelation, but aren't we going to at least consider which doctor? And how will we make a choice on which doctor to choose? And, and how will we look at that broken leg spiritually in terms of what happened under the providential hand of God when you have your son and you're out there, as it happened to me, and you turn your back on him for a minute when he's just a little three-year-old on the top of a slide and he falls down and breaks his arm and could have killed himself, could have fallen on his head. And he breaks his arm because you as a dad took your eyes off your son for a moment. And so, yes, we got him to the doctor to take care of a broken arm. But I was calling on the Lord as well. I mean, it's not quite that simple, is it? All these things aren't that simple. And we're going to use this chart. We'll talk more about it. Well, we're done.